Before we get to today's show, I just want to talk about Stamps.com. Getting your mailing and your shipping done can seem like a no-win situation. Going to the post office takes a valuable time. Leasing a postage meter, that's expensive. Well, luckily I know a better way. Stamps.com. You can buy and print your own official U.S. postage for any letter or any package. It's more powerful than a postage meter. You can avoid those time-consuming trips to the post office. And I personally use Stamps.com. And actually, you could too if you if, if you listen to the BS Report, which you obviously do because you're listening to this. If you use the promo code BS for this special no-risk trial, it, it is a $110 bonus offer. It includes a digital scale up to $55 of free postage. Um, all you have to do is go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BS. Stamps.com. Check it out. The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Bill Simmons. Welcome to the BS Report. Taping this on a sunny Monday here in Southern California. We have Jacko coming up a little bit later to talk about A-Rod and the Super Bowl. That's going to be around the 50-minute mark. But first, we have a Grantland connoisseur slash critic of television, Andy Greenwald, is going to come on. And we're going to try to have a spoiler-free TV discussion, and I think we're going to succeed. So let's bring him on. Andy, how are you? I'm great. I wish it was sunny here in New York. What, what is the weather like in New York? Uh, freezing rain. <laughs> general, general depression. Yeah. See, that's why I live on the West Coast. Yeah, there's, there's uh, something to that. Yeah. Uh, lots of TV going on. We premiered the Grantland Basketball Hour last night and uh, had the misfortune of going against about 40 different TV shows. It it's, re-airs on uh, Saturday on ABC, by the way, um, including The Walking Dead that came back that you did not see. I didn't see it. I know. I'm I'm slipping. There's so like you said, there's so much TV, including obviously the Grandland Basketball Hour, which is yeah, yeah. At the top of my list. Um but yeah, I mean last night we had all the HBO comedies were on. We had the Jinx, we had the premiere of Better Call Saul, the Grammys were on. Yeah. Um it, it's we're hitting into this crazy time. I mean it used to be that the fall was the time when there was so much to watch, but I really think that that, that January, February is now the real crunch time. Uh, let's bring in Tyrese from The Walking Dead for his thoughts on last night's show. <laughs> I can't show. wait. I can't wait. I didn't enjoy last night's show. I didn't like it at all. You'll know why when you see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm I the one. I did not like last night's show. I'm the one who doesn't want spoilers here because I couldn't even watch it. Yeah. Did you, are you, do you have um, premiere fatigue with Walking Dead? Someone tweeted this the other day. I wish I could give them credit. But doesn't it feel like it's always a season finale or a season premiere because of the way they chop it up? Yeah. Well, they just don't want to go against football, right? Like they disappear for the football playoffs just to not go head-to-head against the football playoffs, it feels like. It's partly that. I think it's also it allows them to feel like an event. They can always be selling it as like a big yeah. episode. But also, it just I think it keeps them sane because they have really grueling filming schedule in Atlanta, and they film sixteen episodes. And most cable shows do like ten or twelve, and so this way they get a little break in the middle. And Norman Reedus can go lip sync in Slater Kitty videos or whatever he does in his spare time. So, but was, it, say, was it was it a good episode? Yeah, it was. Well, it was a typical Walking Dead episode. I'm going to say this without spoiling anything. Okay. Um, at some point, there's going to be some real fatigue with uh, the whole hey. Let's go to place X, yeah. and maybe that place will have something we need. And then, of course, it doesn't. And then there's zombies, and 
like that formula is going to get stale. I don't know what year, but it's going to get stale at well, some here's point. A, here's a question. We, whenever we talk, we tend to always end up talking about better ideas for Walking Dead spinoffs and how they should yeah. all just be in Baltimore with the Wirecast. So we won't do that. But some information has come out about the actual really happening Walking Dead spinoff. And from what I've read, it suggests – now, this might be a spoiler. It also might be wrong information. But it suggests that it is, A, it's set in Los Angeles or in California. Oh. Oh. And, B, it might actually begin right before the infection. So we might actually oh. see some of the stuff that we didn't see in the original Walking Dead series. Where, where are you on both of those points? The prequel – you're saying. Well, the prequel leading into it. So, like, you know how we, we basically The Walking Dead started like 28 days later, started with yeah. Rick waking up in a hospital and the world is over. And in the first season, there were a couple flashbacks to the way it yep. used to be. And they were so clumsy, it made me very grateful that we never saw the world end. Yeah. And watching The Strain made me really glad that The Walking Dead didn't do it because it proved how hard it is to do that. But so I guess what we might see is maybe there's some talk of outbreak or sickness on the East Coast and it's... And it's sweeping the nation, and so maybe we're going to see a little bit of it hitting hitting these new characters. So it'll be a prequel. Will, will it have a shelf life where it ends when the, when the actual Walking Dead starts? Or will it actually be a prequel that then leads into the current thing that the Walking Dead cast faced, but only it's in Los Angeles? Unclear. Unclear. I think I, my sense is that it, it – it's essentially going to be the same world. It's just going to be a world overrun, but we might actually see the world being overrun. So there's a chance that, like, the first episode could be someone going to a Pinkberry just normally, and you know, or, or whatever it is you guys do out there, and then, and then maybe someone <laughs> that, snapping that it on like the way home. like a shot at LA people. <laughs> I'm cold. Going to a Pinkberry or whatever you guys do out there. <laughs> That's cold. why we I'm live angry. here because we can go to Pinkberry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the reason I brought up the 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 spinoff is because that might be a way for them to avoid falling into that same plot trap. I mean, especially yeah. if they're going to have two hours of zombie entertainment on at the same time for the bulk of the year. Has a prequel ever worked? I uh, I fell asleep during Better Call Saul last night. This oh, is no. quite a podcast. You miss Walking Dead and I fell asleep <laughs> during Better Call Saul. Uh, has a prequel ever worked? I always feel like it's weird to shift the time continuum in my head. I've never totally enjoyed it. Yeah, it's it's it, it's a it's a tricky thing, especially when you know, in the case of of Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, like we know what happened to a lot of these people, yeah. And so the thought of it sort of removes some of the drama from it, you know, which is um, was also my problem always with with Boardwalk Empire. Actually, like the most interesting characters, it wasn't a prequel to anything except our real life. But my problem with it was always that the most interesting characters, like Lucky Luciano or or Al, or I was going to say Al Pacino, Al Capone. Yeah. Um, the spoilers for them was Wikipedia. Like we knew they weren't going to die in season three, so it took the drama out of it. So similarly, you have Mike back to life on Better Call Saul, and we kind of know where he's headed. So that's the fear. But I, I was really in on the show. I was really surprised. I was very, very dubious of the whole idea. But the first three episodes sold me. Really? So, yeah. It seems like all the uh, TV critics slash connoisseurs really like this yeah. show. Yeah, I think that I got a little bit lost in my own head and sort of thinking about all the things that could go wrong, like exactly like you said about a prequel yeah. could be a bad idea or why would they want to mess up a masterpiece? Like why go back to the scene of the crime when you got out of there? But the one thing that I forgot was that Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould, who, who co-created the show, like they're just really good at making TV. 
And it kind of doesn't matter what Vince Gilligan is doing because his, his writing is so good and the plotting is so crisp and it gets you right back in the gut the way Breaking Bad did really quickly, especially tonight's episode. There's a second episode tonight, Monday. So why, why was I, I this the move shot. for Vin, why was this the move for Vince Gilligan? I'm glad you asked that. So I've been thinking about this. Here's my thought because when I wrote my piece, I was thinking about it like all the all the guys and like they kind of are all guys who have their shows on what we've basically made like a Rushmore of great TV dramas in the last few years. So like your, your David yeah. Chases and your David Simons, they would never go back. You know, I spoke to David Chase on, the, on my podcast. Like, he would never, ever consider doing anything with The Sopranos again. And David Simon certainly wouldn't go back to Baltimore. But I kind of – but also, what else have they done since? I mean, they've, they've worked, but I feel like it can be paralyzing to come off of a masterpiece. I think that Vince yeah. Gilligan, because, you know, he worked in TV just, like, in the trenches. You know, he was on X-Files for a lot of years. He has a lot of things on his credits that he wouldn't exactly be bragging about. So I feel like for him, the thing was just to keep working. Just just keep working because you're never going to make something like Breaking Bad again. And the quicker you acknowledge that, the better you are in life. It would have been interesting if he took over another show that existed and just did the Vince Gilligan treatment on it. Like what if he had taken over The Walking Dead this season? Oh, my God. It would be so good. Wouldn't it's like a no lose for him, right? He could just take some franchise that existed and elevate it to some crazy level so... for a year and then go off and do something else. It would be so funny. I mean – or what if what if he just went took over Grey's Anatomy, like this is a oh, really good amazing. idea. Yeah. What, one one of the things that I always liked about comic books is that like you know Spider Man is always is published every month, but someone comes on and and writes his or her like twelve months Spider Man story, and then someone yeah. else comes on and maybe that person is more violent or funnier or weirder, and then they write theirs and it just keeps going. I wish I mean it would never happen, but I wish TV worked like that where you could have people with very different sensibilities take over the franchise or like, like law and order like nbc just announced they're going to probably bring back the original law and order why does it have to be dick wolf doing the same show when is nbc finally listening the nbc is finally listening to our podcast does this yeah, mean er can come back now <laughs> i think they're finally listening i think it probably does just bring back er what are you waiting for we talk about this in the grantland office once a month just just bring it back Nobody's going to be like, what are you doing, NBC? Everybody's going to be like, oh, ER's back. Is Noah Wiley still on it? That's going to be the reaction. Yeah, there's no reason not to. The star of that show is the hospital. Yeah, you can't lose. What are you doing? They're all doing it. I mean, Fox is bringing back X-Files now, probably. I mean, they are, they're, they're, the, 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 it's clear that they're listening to us. But, but it I does seem like... the mistake was that the 90210 on Melrose Place bring backs were, were poorly executed and poorly thought out. And, That's and right. It, put a fear in people that that wouldn't work. But I think it works if it's, you know, we talked about this before, but it works when it's a hospital or it's a law firm or it's police. Yeah, those are the you three things. Because those can go on forever. Those are machines. You can't bring yeah. back chemistry between actors that you had 15, 20 years ago, but you can bring back the machine that drove the show and then try yes. again. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and there's no and, reason not to. And as we've talked about, you can also shift locations, which is, you know, always what they should have done with a Cheers bring back. Although I don't know if we've talked about that before, too, but I don't know in this day and age and the PC society, whether you'd, you know, I feel like people would be protesting Norm. Like, why does Norm have to drink so much? And then he just <laughs> yeah. goes home to his wife. People like, would people be concerned about the his health. I think, yeah. I think that's that's legitimate. Yeah. I feel like Cliff yeah, has like, a medical uh, disorder, and they're making fun of him. And this is and now we're going to mobilize on Twitter with a hashtag. Carla's, 
Carla's unhappy marriages are a sign of a troubled psyche. Like, I yeah. feel like <laughs> she cheers How do we drama. know what's happening in Carla's marriage? We're making fun of dysfunctional wait, marriages. And now – and here's a hashtag. You're from Boston. The, what is the real like that? There's a sad drama version of Cheers waiting to be done, isn't there? About people who just live in a bar. If there's an hour long yes. show, eight episodes on AMC. I mean, that could be one of the darkest shows in TV history. Yeah, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be set in the part of Boston you'd think it would be set in. It would be That's like right. one of the little suburbs on the outside of Boston, like a Charlestown right. or Revere type thing. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I was. There was some show last night. I was watching. Uh, NBC for some reason. I think it was NBC. It was some show where these two people are friends and they're having a kid, but then he falls in love. Yeah. Have you seen this show? Have you seen this ad yet? Well, this is for um, – what's it called? Buddy Up. I thought this was the one with Alicia Cuthbert. Yeah, yeah, is that yeah, right? yeah. And And she's yeah. gay, but someone else isn't and they're having a kid and – yeah, yeah, I haven't seen the show Yeah, but then he yet, falls but... in love. <laughs> what yeah. is – I mean, are we really out of ideas? We're yes. just out. We just don't have any ideas left. That's, That's it. correct. <laughs> yeah. We're I mean, done? Look, at, look at what NBC is doing. They've got that. That show has already been canceled, even though it doesn't exist yet. And similarly, like, you, you know, last week they premiered Allegiance, which is basically a worse version of The Americans, which is my favorite yeah. show on TV, but is very yeah. poorly rated. And so the idea that NBC is trying to steal an idea that isn't working all that well in terms of what matters to NBC in terms of ratings for another network is ridiculous. And it's just another one-word title. I mean, NBC in the last few years alone, Allegiance, Believe, Crisis. I mean, the, they just come off of the factory line, and, and there's nothing to it. They're, like, pre-canceled. And then you look at shows, you know, I don't know if you've been watching, but, you know, Empire on Fox is the biggest thing to happen to network TV in, in, in years. In years. Yeah, and that, it, and it, what a shocker that, that uh, a show geared toward a black audience that is – like the most active audience on social media and is dying for more shows. Yes. And just in general is the most underserved population on television. What a shocker that that show took off. Can't you, believe it. Can, how sad is it that that – how ingrained that is that it didn't occur to anyone? I mean uh, Joe Adelian, the guy who does all the numbers and rating stuff, he's great. He's so good at covering that side of the ball for Vulture. He was going in the numbers of Empire and he saw that the, the viewership number for episode two – among African American households was a Super Bowl number. It was basically seventy five percent of households were watching the show. Th- th- that yeah, audience was out it, there, and it's in, the audience has increased uh, for five straight episodes. Yeah, has not happened but, in a decade. But what's amazing to me is Scandal took off during um, the two thousand thirteen season, basically the two thousand twelve yeah. two thousand thirteen season, and. You know, it was this thing. It, first of all, it was a phenomenon just in general for ABC, but it was also like kind of it become kind of the show of the African American population. That was, you know, I don't even know what the white equivalent would be of that of scandal. But it's weird to me coming off that season that you think how network executives just try to rip off whatever trend is going on. Yes, you would have thought there would have been like fifteen shows geared toward that audience. No, and now and, and ABC it, was the only one who figured it out. ABC was like, let's keep giving Shonda Rhimes shows. Yes. Here, here's and, another one. And and why don't we make a, a sitcom like Blackish? Like, which is just, A, it's a very good show. It's a good sitcom, and I really like it. But B, it's telling stories and starring people that just haven't been done a billion times. So the show you're talking, the, the NBC show you're talking about, about the pregnancy in the front, I mean, we've done that. We've just right? done that we've so many it. times. So yeah, I've seen those young white characters. 
Yes, we've seen them. And we've crazy, seen them kind of make crazy situations. <laughs> those crazy group of white friends in the big city. I think we've seen that. It's very, yeah. it's not only it's very hard to do it again, it's just diminishing returns because it's been done. And so, or like Fresh Off the Boat, which ABC premiered this week. Um, I was going to bring that first... up. Well, yeah, why, why did that take 20 years since Margaret Cho's show? 20 years. And I, I'm not even thinking about this in terms of like a social justice or representation issue. I'm just talking about the fact that there are limited number of stories on TV. And instead of telling the same ones, why wouldn't you rush to a, to a, to a place or to an audience or to creators that actually have access to different stories? Like it just seems well, remember, like a no-brainer. Remember that show on BT, BET a couple of years ago, The Game? Yeah. And it was happening kind of over there on television, but yet every time it was on, it owned social media for the night. That's right. And yet for for two, and then scandal happened, same thing. I don't get it. I don't understand what the, the people who make TV decisions, I don't understand what they but, do all day and what they look at. And but, and also like TV is changing too where, and may, may, maybe this is part of the problem. TV for networks is still what it is, but yet when you look at what Amazon and Hulu and, and um, Netflix are doing, all they want is a show that's loved by like 75,000 right. people. It's more that's valuable it. that's to their be whole adored strategy by a, now. More, more valuable to be adored by a small group than liked yeah. by a large group. It's really it's interesting totally to right. hear them talk about it because they, like the, somebody was telling me about the guy who – Guy who runs Amazon and trans transcendent the tambour show. Transparent, about, yeah. Uh, but he, he transparent. I'm sorry. Uh, he he plays a transgender character, and he was saying like, we don't even care. We don't even care how many people watches it. Watch it because the people that watch it love it, and they're going to pay for Amazon Prime every month to see this show. That's right. So I that's mean, all that... we care about. So if that's seventy five thousand people. That's seventy five thousand people at seven dollars a month or whatever the cost is. Yeah, I mean, th that's why the, being a subscription model is the future and it's the best possible scenario. You don't need to worry about, you know, the, the whole population, which is impossible anyway. You just need to get people hooked. You need to get people who, who really love something who will pay for the next episode of it. Um, but how so that's do you why compete each, that's with why that? Oh, if you're a network? If you're a network, how do you compete with that? Because you can't create shows that people are just going to universally, you know, people are going to either not watch or, or totally love. So there's like this weird middle ground you have to find. Yeah. Well, and that's why you'd think not that, that many, that's why you'd think that finding underserved audiences would be the key. And, and again, yes. you know, we're, we're praising Amazon and Netflix, but, but they're not really as yet making shows that star or are created by minorities like they're they're right. not taking advantage of that audience but it, what's really depressing is not just the headlines we see now that say diversity is the hottest trend in television but the fact that network tv before they thought to look to african-american audiences or asian-american audiences they went to live musicals like that's their chain of priorities of what to reach right like the head of nbc was like i we could make shows created by and starring black people or we could do Peter Pan with Brian Williams' daughter. It's like, I think that's our first move. And if that doesn't work, maybe then we'll try to get diverse. It's just, it's not, it's not a very thoughtful industry. It's really strange, especially now that it's, and it's being exposed because like you said, Netflix and Amazon are moving so fast. T the way t TV networks have handled um, black audiences is, in my opinion, the best article that nobody's written yet about the yeah. last 40 years of television. Because I remember... When I was doing the Eddie Murphy career arc, which was, I think, uh, sometime in 2012. And, you know, when I was growing up, there were all these shows with, like, iconic black characters and black families on TV. Yep. Like, right? Like, Good Times, Sanford and Son, What's Happening, 
different strokes. Like, just you go, White Shadow was on, like, all these different shows. And then by the time you, Eddie you Murphy. You go into my, my generation, too. You have Cosby Show and, and Family Matters. I mean, these were important shows. Right, right, right. So there's this middle ground between those two generations when all of a sudden Eddie Murphy's on, on SNL and there he's he's really the only super duper important black person on television because all the other characters have just gone away and all the other shows have gone away and then Bill Cosby brought it back and then all of a sudden you had this second generation that kind of crested with the Fresh Prince mm-hmm. but then everything drifted to cable and then all of a sudden it became this whole underserved you know audience thing again and you had the shows like the Damon Wayans show and a couple other ones but for the most part like it, Shonda Rhimes, she's really good. She shouldn't stand out this much. I agree, and and it's worth noting that what she is doing. I mean, she's not making shows that are just. And I don't think Empire's this way either. I really like Empire, but Shonda Rhimes isn't making shows that are specifically like niche targeted only right. to African American audiences. She's just making fully diverse shows, and she goes into it, you know, casting the best actor. She doesn't really worry about that sort of thing. She's just unburdened by this by this sort of hand-wringing or just flat-out just ignoring that the, that the executives have done. She makes it look easy. Right. They're, they're really good shows anyway that happen to have minority characters. Yeah, it's not Hey, there's, it's a, not great, complicated. there's a great idea. I know. Well, you know, in bringing it full circle, that's the thing that, that I think we've both been talking about every time we bring up Walking Dead. I just think that that makes the show better, having yeah. a diverse cast. It, it doesn't, it's, it's not just for the sake of, of, of it's not a numbers game. It makes the show more interesting. It, it allows for different combinations and different representations on screen that we're not used to seeing. Network TV's idea of of, of incorporating black characters is like, hey, uh, NCIS spinoff. We got LL Cool J. Is with Chris O'Donnell. They're gonna no, they're gonna be buddies. <laughs> it's worse. Did you see, have you watched the Mysteries of Laura? That awful NBC show with Deborah Messing. Of course, I haven't. Of course. Well, to, you know, as you know, then the show is stars Deborah Messing and she's this heroic every mom type who's terrible at being a cop and terrible at being a mother. And her partner is an African-American actor whose job is basically to be like, damn, you look good in that dress, girl. Like, no. that's, his, that, that's his that's his job. Like in the actor is good. He's fine. I think yeah. Laz Alonzo, like he could be good on anything. But that is the in the pilot. That's what he does. I've only seen a couple episodes of the Viola Davis show, yeah. but she's so good as an actress just in general. I almost feel like she's overqualified to be in the show. She is. Like she's overqualified to be on television almost, unless it was some amazing HBO show. I kind of can't believe she's on ABC. They really hit yeah. the jackpot with that one. I know, and that's another thing. Like this, The reason she's on ABC is because she was tired of playing like, sad mothers and nurses or being in the help. You know, she's right. one of the best actors of her generation. Absolutely. And she's recognized as such in, you know, in movies like in Doubt or on on the stage. Yeah. But but she just doesn't have those choices at her, at, you know, both because of who she is and her age. And so all of a sudden, Shonda Rhimes is like, I'm going to give you this crazy, juicy part where you get to do everything. You get to be sexy and tough and sneaky. And, you know, she gets to do all the things that an actor wants to do. And ABC, it, it just seems so obvious. Again, there's so many actors like that who are underserved. We went to see Black Hat uh, two weeks ago of a few of the Grantland people because we had the yeah. movie theater next to our office. And we actually thought there would be nobody in the theater and we could just talk the whole time. But there was like four other people. Um, and you know Chris Ryan rides with Michael Mann just to I, the death. 
I mean, I know it intimately. <laughs> and you know, Sean Fantasy will just see any movie, and he just doesn't care what the movie is. He'll just he's right. available and ready to go. Um, so in Black Cat, Viola Davis is in Black Cat. She in is Black Cat like. Black Cat like could have been a good movie if it was uh, twenty five minutes shorter and um, and whichever Helmsworth that was the guy from yeah. Rush, if he hadn't decided to to try to do like this weird Sly Stallone accent over just making the character Australian, Oof. you just can't get past it. He's just like, hey, yo, you're not gonna talk to me like that, and it's like, what are you doing? How did nobody stop this? I just but, don't uh, believe Thor as a computer hacker. I don't know by it. Well, if he'd been an Australian computer hacker, I would have maybe, That's you know, whatever. At least don't. F- future advice to the Hemsworths. Hemsworth? Hemsworth? Hems- Hemsworth Turning is. to my dad. The Hemsworth <laughs> is. Uh, don't do accents. Just stick, stick can, to your guns. Can, can I just give a quick sidebar? This is important advice for everything. Like, I don't know if you yeah. checked out this show called Fortitude that premiered the other week. It's on Pivot, a channel I didn't know ex- that existed. It's actually really good. I heard really about good. this. Yeah, I heard it's it was Arctic... good. I have no idea where that is on my cable system. It, it's worth checking out. It's an Arctic murder mystery. But because it's a co-production between Pivot and, like, a, a the British Channel Sky, the cast is crazy international. There's English people and Danish people and American people. And one of the stars is Stanley Tucci, American actor. Mm. And his part is a British detective. Oh, and no. the single smartest thing that they did was just make him American. Yeah. And like in episode four, someone's like, you're a British detective. And he says, yes. And they say, but you're American. And he just says, yes. And then the show goes on. <laughs> and it's like, thank you. You saved your show. Because hearing right. Stanley Tucci pretend to be English would have ruined everything. Instead, it's just a shrug and we move on. I feel think like many... that should be what we need to do going forward. We just agree to accept it. Think how many Kevin Costner movies we would have saved. But, I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. But anyway, Viola Black Davis Hat. is in Black Hat. And she's great. She's way overqualified to be in it. And it's your typical part that it would have been so much more interesting if, if she had taken a crack at the Hemsworth kid. And instead, of course, he's with the generic person you know he's right. going to end up with from the beginning because it's the sister of the other hacker. And she's she's a good-looking Chinese lady. And you just know you just know immediately, like, oh, gee, I wonder where this is going. Yep. Um, but it would have been so much more interesting if Viola Davis had gotten involved. But I, no wonder she went to TV. She's got these crap parts in Black Hat. This is, anyway. But this is what happens to a lot of – I mean, historically, that's what happens to a lot of, of the best African-American actors. It's like they get to be the president or the judge. Because it's like, oh, look, we're we're giving this actor this strong part, but it's this strong, noble part that has no nothing to do other than just be present. Like Morgan Freeman as the president in all those movies, or as God in Bruce Almighty or whatever that was, you know. Like right. Morgan Freeman is a crazy creative and good actor when he's on his game, but he gets paid by being just sort of just showing up. And the well, it's parts... like the, remember the dude on NYPD Blue who finally left. I think his name was James McDaniel's. He was the sergeant. Oh, yeah. His his right. his entire role was just like telling uh, Sipowitz like, "Hey man, you got to get your act together." And after like eight years, I think he finally left. And it was like, That's "Why would that guy leave I mean, the show? He's never going to have a better job." And it's like he was probably going crazy that his part sucked right. so much, couldn't take it's, it anymore. It's been amazing seeing you know Estepatha Murkison who was on Law and Order for like thirty five years, yeah, as as the boss and. It, you know, good for her. I mean, she that is actors want to work, right? And she probably has a nice home, and she lives in New York. But as soon as that was done, she started taking parts on on the stage in New York. And it's like, oh wait, these people like people like her, like act, working actors, are good actors. But then they just fall into these roles where it's a steady paycheck, but there's just nothing to do. They just serve a purpose. I was in a hotel room with my daughter on Saturday night. Um, 
because she was in the soccer tournament and uh, we were watching nonstop, which is kind of like the perfect movie for her to watch at this age. It's like the PG 13 action movie where nothing really yeah. bad's going to happen. And there's a little girl trapped on the plane. So it was, you know, it was just kind of, it was kind of the perfect movie to fall asleep to. And what I forgot was that Lupita Nyong'o was one of the flight attendants in, in yeah. nonstop and Julianne Moore's in it during the same year. She's going to win the Oscar. Yeah. Well, Julianne Moore's in Seventh Son also that just came out, which is like I mean, I, she, she's got I mean, a all of these people. They can't find parts. No, they, they 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 can't find parts. I mean, the 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 this also goes into the other thing that 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 worries me about. I mean, this isn't TV. This is movies. But once someone breaks out, the only thing Hollywood and this is not just an African American thing. This is just all talented young actors. The one thing Hollywood knows what to do with them now is plug them into a superhero movie or yeah. a franchise movie. So when Lupita won the Oscar and then one of the next things that was announced was that she was going to be in the new star Wars movie. I mean, that's great. I, I, that movie seems to have a lot of really good actors in it that I would like to see in any kind of movie, but I kind of want to see her in another movie where she could win an Oscar, not just, you know, not just be in space. Yeah. Or even, you know, why not a rom-com? Well, that's the wrong with that. It's, it's exactly right. Well, that's why it was kind of exciting. I think there was some news that she and David Oyelowo, who's in star of Selma are making a movie together and it, in, in which they would potentially get to play like full full blooded human beings and not just not just historical figures or space knights or whatever else Hollywood wants to put them in. Hmm. I don't. It makes me nervous that the British that British people are taking over. American people are. But, but that's why that's why my new accent purity law would help us, right? Because all the British people and Australian people who have taken all of our parts wouldn't be able to because they would have to only use their real accents. I had dinner so with. Uh, I was at a dinner last week with a bunch of people, including Sean Ryan, the guy who who uh, created the Shield. Oh yeah, yeah, he's a talented guy. Very talented guy. Puts a lot of thought into stuff. He had a great theory, so I'm giving him 100 percent full credit for this theory. He was talking about. We were talking about why British people are are starting to take over all of these roles and playing American people. It's really bizarre trend. Like we have 300 million people in this country. You'd think we'd be able to find more actors. Like why, yes. why British people keep coming in and taking these great parts. So his theory was, um, that it's not that cool to be in theater. If you're a dude. Yeah. When you're in high school, in, like in there's some, there's, yeah, it's like, you're like, really? You're in theater. What are you doing? Why are you doing? There's, I don't want to say a stigma, but it's certainly not something that existed 30 years ago as much. But now, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe we're just not – maybe we're not pushing people toward acting. Maybe we should be recruiting people to uh, to, to find more actors or something. Like, like, but like they, we should we're in celebrate, a danger zone. We should celebrate signing day with like young high school actors putting on the Juilliard hat. <laughs> yeah, why not? You know, or like, like Yale School of Drama makes a big press conference. Or, maybe, or like celebrity re- celebrity recruiters like Oscar Isaac out there for Juilliard just trying to get the you know the next young kid. I'm well, into it. Th- think about like the the European soccer teams, right? Right. They have all these programs to develop young soccer young, stars, young talent. That's right. They're in the system early. Yeah. So they'll sign like Real Madrid will sign some 13 year old, and they'll put him in some crazy soccer program, and the and the goal is to develop whoever. Maybe like NBC should develop some. $75 million training program for young actors that then become exclusive. Almost like when you have these, like American Idol, when they uh, 
they lock the singers if they make it down to contracts and they're these basically like contracts. they have to turn their lives over. Well, the, Maybe I that's what one big, of these networks should do. I think the biggest difference between and this is not even, I mean, I think people have always talked about the British theater tradition as like being much more educational and playing a wider variety of parts. So you have people able to do more than people here who just generally want to be movie stars. But I yeah. think the, uh, there's a difference to, to be pointed out, too, between the way the TV industries work, because now it's not just the actors coming over. So many of the shows that I'm writing about for Grantland and reviewing are British shows. And one of the interesting things about watching a lot of British TV is the just total meritocracy of the cast. So actors who are the stars of shows show up in other shows just as, you know, as, as small secondary characters like black mirror, which is just this incredible anthology series that everyone should check out on Netflix. Um, one episode in the background, you're like, Oh, that's the guy from down Abbey. And he's just playing a hospital orderly in another episode. Oh, that's Haley Atwell who is, you know, star of agent Carter. Yeah. And in this episode, Oh, it, that's Donald Gleason. who's like in the new star Wars movie. And there's a, there's this idea that, you're in one thing and then you're in the next thing and you're just working and you don't ha there's no like if you were the star of this then you can't take a step down and part of that has to do with the fact that british shows you know are much shorter there's like you only get signed for a one season of like six episodes you're not signed for seven years but I, I i wish there was some of that lack of ego could be imported here because then we would see actors moving more freely we could see people like james mcdaniel move from nypd blue to a supporting role in something else where he gets to do more but instead people are sort of locked into their le fame level Remember that one wire season when they basically like they froze they froze out McNulty? Yeah. I can't remember yeah, if we, it was three or four of us like, Yeah, McNulty, you're oh, it was, it was season four, I think. McNulty, you're gonna take a seat this season. Yeah. We know you're the star of the seat. show, you're gonna go over there. Well, because he's English also. But right. but 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 the wire also did something that I always just loved, which was do you remember where where like smaller characters would suddenly get their moment? People yeah. who'd been there the whole time or or I just remember that moment in I guess it's the end of season two when we meet Bunny Colvin almost as a throwaway. And then all of a sudden in the next season, you realize, oh, he's an incredibly important character and the world just got bigger. Yeah. I, I really have always been a fan of that idea. But it's hard to do because you can't, you know, you try to lock, you can't lock someone in. Because if they, if you have them as a guest star for season two, in between season two and three, they're going to be out at pilot season trying to get bigger parts and then maybe they're gone. You know, I'm glad you brought up The Wire or one of us brought up The Wire because... I was thinking about this over Christmas break. You know, The Wire versus Sopranos versus Breaking Bad never really has been totally answered for greatest show of all time. And everybody's got their hardcore thoughts on it. I think the one thing that's changed as we head now into the middle of this decade, The Wire is still incredibly rewatchable. Like yes. when it was on over Christmas, it wasn't yes. just me. It was other people just getting sucked in and be like, oh, my God, I miss this show. I miss these characters. Me too. You're watching it like you've never watched it before. And I just don't think The Sopranos, it, it, it kind of, The Sopranos and The Shield, I feel like, came with, when they, you know, they kind of paved the way for what came next. But those shows feel dated. And nobody is going to watch five straight days of Sopranos episodes and jump in and out of them like you would with The Wire or Breaking Bad. So it's just an interesting wrinkle for the greatest show of, of all time conversation. I agree. I also think, I mean, I got sucked in too by The Wire. I also think that weirdly, because we were all so crazy about The Wire and saying it was the greatest thing ever and you know preaching it on the streets to everyone, that I, I think I almost talked myself out of it as to how good it was. Yeah. Like I started to 
think in, in retrospect that maybe it was a little bit, you know, it was a little too strident or it, was a little, it wasn't as artistic or like wordy or as dreamy as The Sopranos or Mad Men. I don't know what I was doing, but I was basically talking myself out of it. And then I started watching it again and I, you just forget how funny it is, you yeah. know, and how clever and how rich. And most of all, for me, I got sucked in at the end. So I had walked away from season five being like that was a terrible season of TV that sort of stained the legacy a little bit of the show. And in retrospect, it wasn't that bad. Like the serial killer stuff is bad, but there's so much other good stuff happening around it that if you're not so upset about it, the stuff that's bothering you or you don't think is as good, then, you, you know, if you're not worried about that, you're seeing the, the whole bubble storyline or what happens with Marlo or, you know, or the, oh, the end. Yeah. Oh, my God. Of course. Yeah. The, Omar how about stuff. The, I mean, it, the last episode was great. And I'm with you. I think season five is now super duper underrated because yes. it, it was living up with, by the by the time season five rolled around, everybody had caught up. It was coming off the second half of season three and then season four where it was just like an all time murderer's row. Yeah, it was just yeah. and there was no way the show was going to live up to it. But it almost to me feels like it's still a title season to me. It's like the last Lakers title season. Like it wasn't as good as the O one title it team ended the same way but they still won the title and That's you right. watch those shows and you're like there's still 25 unbelievable moments i mean when uh when cheese gets shot oh my how about God. that whole scene or, or, or do you remember mcnulty's wake when he's lying pretending oh, to be it's dead? incredible that whole uh, the, I, those episodes are incredible and everybody got too bent out of shape about the syracuse storyline but I got to say, I still like Gus, the newspaper guy. I ride Gus with a, Gus. That's right. Gus is a great character. Lost great in this character. not as good plot. Yeah. I, one thing that I'm trying to be more, uh, just, just be more present about in what I'm writing these days is that I think we're, we've slipped too far into this canonization of TV where we want things to be perfect or we expect them to stick the landing when like the essential thing about TV is that it's really flawed and messed up and people screw up or they take a half a season getting their act together. Like there is no perfect TV show. There pretty much has never been one. Like I think Friday Night Lights season one maybe is a perfect season TV. I think the last episode might be the best ending ever. But in between, there's a lot of mess. Yeah, serial killer Landry. There's all this stuff that we forget about, but actually kind of makes the journey fun. And in retrospect, Breaking Bad is now going to be, I mean, I think it was pretty exceptional. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the show, but it might be overrated because it stuck the landing. Its best episodes were its last 16. Yeah. You know, so, so the last taste of it in our minds are those last few. When I bet even Vince Gilligan would admit that those first two seasons, especially when it got interrupted by the strike, like they didn't quite have a handle on it yet. It took a while. The other thing with the Sopranos is there there's just some not not great actors on that show. <laughs> yeah. I mean let's be honest, yeah. we all love Polly Walnuts and we all love Stevie Van Zant. But come on. I mean seriously, come on. Yeah. They were not are. good actors. Those were they had key parts. There was a lot of people and I know why they did it and if they made it more authentic, but when you think of like some of the scenes that Edie Falco and Gandolfini had Compared oh my God, to yeah. some of the other acting on that show, and then just and and how about AJ Soprano? Yeah. Just look at what happened to everybody on that show after the show ended. Nobody went on to do anything other than Gandolfini and Falco. To be fair, I often see cast members of The Sopranos at at the open bar at HBO premiere parties in New York. They, <laughs> Very al- they always they always show up for those uh, Very girls available. party girls party. There, they're always there. Um, oh, you got to go soon, so we have to r- quickly rip through TV. Um, Yes. Which we ended up not really spoiling anything, so I'm going to redo the intro. Uh, favorite three shows that you hope people are watching right now? 
That's a good one. Um, Go quick. Togetherness on HBO. Yep. Uh, and I think, I mean, if I'm going to be under the radar shows, Togetherness, um, Fortitude, which I talked about a minute ago, is really good on Pivot. And um, I think Babylon is really good on Sundance. I don't know if you've checked that out, but it's a, it's a cop show set in London about an American PR executive who comes to sort of help with the, the public image of the London Police Department. And it's made by people who worked on um, The Thick of It, which is the show that eventually like the American version, people, people who worked on that show created Veep. So it's a very dark political satire. So they're, they, they're very good at making something funny. But the show slowly, it does something I've never seen before. Like around episode three, I think there's six in total. It suddenly becomes clear that it's not really a comedy and it's really kind of devastating. So those are the three on the like below the line shows. But I'm, I'm in on Better Call Saul. I, I, I think people should watch tonight on Monday. I think the second episode, directed by Michelle McLaren, it's the most Breaking Bad of the three that I saw, and it's really good. Have you? Are you pro or con this season of Girls? I'm kind of con. Where are okay. you on it? Yeah, we'll see. But, but, I, but let me throw out, the best episode of this season of Girls is next week's. Okay. I didn't, it's the, the fifth episode I thought was, was, was really good. How about looking? surprising. I really like looking. I think it's totally under the radar. I think it's kind of, it was unfair to compare it to girls last year because they're very, very different. But in a lot of ways, I think I like it a lot more than girls this year because it just has a better sense of place and, and better characters. But I agree. I think the characters I'm looking are really good. What about Showtime? Showtime, um, Showtime has Shameless on right now, which is just the perpetually, that's like the number one pick in the underrated TV draft. Yep. Have you ever checked it out? It's, it's, I, it was too good. dark for me early, but uh, I got sucked back in because Beatles boyfriend is on it this year. So I'm just for, to support him, Steve Casey. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that guy's yeah. good. Well, yeah. It, like Shameless is a show that I never write about, and I almost always forget to watch. But when I do watch, it's just it's just well done. I mean, that's John Wells who did ER. I mean, he just knows how to make TV in that way that you just immediately clicks into your brain and you know what you're watching and it's and it's enjoyable. But no yeah. one's ever going to write about it because it's just you know it's kind of a comedy and it just. It keeps resetting to zero every year. Where do you stand on Badge? Um, on Badge? Yeah, it's on the Audience Network. The one on one Directv one on one. You know? Oh, I don't have Directv. Oh my no. God! I can't believe you stumped me. No, I don't know. Badge. It. That's I just made that up because we've reached a point with TV now where you could just throw out fake names for TV show. You had a heart attack there for a second. I thought I was done. That was great. I swear to God, I thought I was that done. Was I thought you were typing on your BlackBerry to Fantasy and Fearman to get a new TV guy. Well, after moment. you after you came up with that weird show on Pivot that I've never heard of, I was like, wow, we've now reached the point where we could just throw out fake shows. What would Badge be and who would be on it? I feel First like Mark all, Paul Gosselaar is on it. Yeah, Badge is – what Badge is very obviously is It's a, a shield ripoff, right? Well, it's partly a shield ripoff but partially also a parody of a shield ripoff because what it is is about a vain Hollywood actor cast in a cop show um, you know, riding along with a New York City police detective. And so trying to find mm. out what really goes on, uh, which I think was the plot of a bad Eddie Murphy movie a few years ago. That was Bowfinger. I, that, so it's a, rip, it's a ripoff of Bowfinger, but not totally a ripoff that you'd actually have to pay damages. Yeah. And so I think it stars Mark Paul Gosselaar and T.I. I feel like the, the, there's just like nice. a certain level of fame that DirecTV has access to. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's definitely it. We should do a game where I come up with fake names for TV shows and you and Chris Ryan have to battle to see who has who can come up with a better premise for it and then I decide no, who won. No, nothing would make me happier. I would I would be very, very happy dealing with only fake TV for a couple of weeks. 
if there was like also that would be there, like Julius and Son would be a good one. <laughs> it's kind of like Sanford and Son, but not really. Yes. And well, it's like the yeah. network's overreacting to to the whole African American TV thing taking off, and like, whoa, so what shows can rip off? Uh, Sanford and Son. We'll, we'll just change the guy's name. Oh, absolutely. Oh, uh, you know that someone is in there pitching a new Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Someone is in there pitching, and because they cannot, it, no one can conceive of an, an original idea, or maybe taking an idea they had and just casting it colorblind. So they're definitely in there pitching things like that. There's like the Urkel way, 2.0 is being pitched right now for sure. Things to be learned. From Fresh Prince and Different Strokes and all, and that, that kind of genre of show, OC, never you're never going to lose when you take somebody who came from nothing and put them in a yep. rich person's world. And it doesn't matter what world that is. You're always winning with that show. It always wins Pe- every time. People people like transporting fantasies. They, li- they like yeah. that. They like to go into those worlds. That's why that's why our show, The Hamptons, premiering on Audience Network 2018, that's going to make us a lot of money. It still hasn't happened. The Affair was kind of... A, 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 I don't know, a little bit of a version of the Hamptons. The Golden Globe winning the affair. You have to say that. Golden Globe winning the affair, but it was it it took us into the Hamptons. So that yeah, was but good. it also took us it took us deep into the sort of the the renegade horse farming world of the Hamptons. You know, where, it did. Where, where, ro- where rodeo guys, uh, you know, deal drugs. That that was the part of the Hamptons I'm not interested in. I'm out. I'm into the I'm into the artisanal jam making at the country fair. I was into that part, but the rodeo part, I'm just I don't buy it. I can't believe there's not a Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard show yet. And I don't know what, what what these networks are waiting for. The Vineyard. The Vineyard would be a good show. Just some, just people, the rich people coming in, the people, the lifers who live there, and just things happen. What about Catalina? Oh, what about – what if there was a show – doesn't Joe Francis, the Girls Gone Wild guy, doesn't he own an island? So oh, that, what yeah, if there well, was like a, a like a love boat or fantasy island show set on some rich guy's private island, and the people who work there are the only constants, and every week someone new flies in on a G5 as a guest of this person who we never see, and so it's like that's the show. Well, there was a show that was a little bit like that that my wife and I watched every week that had Brooke Burns on it, and she was in Hawaii, and it was like a luxury hotel, and there was oh, stuff right. going on with the people that worked there, but then new guest stars every week, and I yeah, always that, thought that, that show should have worked. That was on Fox. It was on After the OC one year. Yeah. I like that show. I'm not yeah. a hard man to please. No, you're, you're just – I like you're, nice you're, locations and I, and I like the help kind of hooking up with rich people. I'm not – I'm really not that hard. You are sitting there waiting to be entertained and they're failing you. I feel like I could go into one of these networks <laughs> and, and come out with 10 shows. I think – can we just, set that up? You're having dinner with Sean Ryan. Let's make this next meeting happen. Let's, let's take this to the Sean next Sean Ryan's level. got like 10 shows. I know he's doing it, so maybe yeah, he's he can doing, like, give us a he's, blueprint. He's doing all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah, so yeah, we hit we hit just about everything. But next time we'll talk Mad Men and Game of Thrones are coming. Yeah, right? uh, it's it's crunch time. Playoffs coming. A lot of stuff coming. Game of Thrones first. Mad Men a little bit after. A week. I think I last year they were the same day. I think they might be a week apart this year. But either way, that the, they're coming a be, beginning of April. I've been giving serious thought to having a Game of Thrones podcast with uh, with some, one of my buddies, like House or Jacko or any somebody who watches the show, where we just talk about the characters without knowing their actual names. <laughs> yeah, so like, think- it's like that guy, the guy that cut, that guy who got his dick cut off. With, so when that guy comes in, and then he saw the crazy lady who does the blood, you, you can. And then do we that, just talk then- about it like that the whole time. We never say names. But then you can have Jason Concepcion, who writes the Maester column for us. He can do a tr- an edited version of your podcast where he just talks over it and corrects it. He just and does, adds, he dubs adds, each person? 
Yeah, he, he adds, like, correct Dothraki pronunciation. Just like, that's where the real, 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 real head And then Ned Stark's son, no, no, the bastard one, whatever his name is. So that guy and the, the lady who liked him, but then, yeah. That is the number one conversation in the country. When I, no show that I write about is more popular or I get more feedback about, but I would say 70% of the feedback I get when it's Game of Thrones season is, no, really, who is that person? Like that, Maybe we... That, the, that's Maybe the baseline you should just write. A, should you write a Game of Thrones glossary that just that, that people can read in a sidebar next to the actual piece? Well, I think that's what we I need to be Jason, honest. When I when when I read your thing, I have no. I, even as you're writing the names, I don't know who's who except for Khaleesi, of course. That's why we have Jason because he knows so much more than I do because he's read the books and he's deep in it. I'm just bluffing. I mean, I just I, I'm just paying close attention as I can. But Jason's appealing to the 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 people who are way way into it. I'm talking okay, well, about a, gl- a glossary of it for idiots that just has here, here, all the names and like a quick definition. I think you and you and House need to come up with agreed upon alternate names for everyone that you guys understand. So well, like, I know like, that one guy is definitely the guy who doesn't have a dick anymore. Right. That's, so, that's okay, that so, guy's name. So that's so that so anytime I write Theon Greyjoy, we'll just put an asterisk and next to it, it'll you know we could have a picture of of your face and come like a like a little thought balloon. It'll say Dickless guy, Dickless guy, Dickless guy. Like yeah, that, I guess I gotta wear, make the names shorter. Yeah, we gotta make a punch here. <laughs> yeah, we gotta fit dickless it in the sidebar guy. or whatever. But Dickless guy. Yeah, I think yeah, you that's don't want to be I Dickless guy on TV. No, it's not a good look. Do you think they'll spin off the Dickless guy with the eunuch? And maybe just I don't know. A, that might just, be an NBC comedy. Just the adventure of uh, yeah. What would it be? I mean, I, Rachel Bilson stars with Dickless Guy and the Eunuch. Rachel Bilson and in a surprise return engagement, James McDaniel. <laughs> Did Rachel Bilson that, and Alicia Cuthbert have to fight for that job as as the gay the gay sperm donor lady who then realizes the sperm donor fell in love with somebody else? <laughs> The sad truth is they probably did. Like they, they, that's actually probably not even a joke. They probably did. They probably both read for it. And it got and Lynn McCord was in there too, but didn't make the second round of auditions. Well, she, she like Sean Young to the audition. Like she she showed up dressed, dressed as the gay pregnant friend, and they just asked her to – they called security. <laughs> got her out. All right. You have to tape your podcast with Chris Ryan, which people should yes, listen I, to. I got to go in the city. Uh, thank you for your time. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Bill. Talk to you soon. All right, as promised, we're calling Jacko at work, my buddy, diehard Yankee fan. Doesn't really like any of the Boston teams, but that's fine. We've been friends since we were 18, and uh, he does not know we're calling this time. Complex litigation, this is John. Johnny. Hey, what's up, buddy? The phone call out of nowhere for the podcast. You were not expecting this one. I was not, no. How's the weather on the East Coast? <laughs> Oh, it's awesome! It's, if you like, if you want to be like Jack Nicholson in The Shining, it's great. Um, I had to see. I, I'm checking in for a couple of reasons. Okay. Um, one, America needs your thoughts on a Rod and just this whole thing. So just give <laughs> us your thoughts. Just give it. Give us all of your thoughts. All well, of them. <laughs> well, it's a really it's a mystifying circumstance because the Yankees seem to be basically telling him to go F, F himself in every possible way, except that they're welcoming him back and continuing to pay his salary. But they're trying to nickel and dime him, comparatively speaking, over his $6 million bonus for hitting six more home runs to get to uh, Willie Mays' magical 660 plateau of home runs. Right. And they, you know, they alleged that they were going to play hardball with that. They told him, like, don't dare report to spring training one minute earlier than all veterans are supposed to report. And you're not playing third base. Don't even think about it. 
they've done everything to give them the stiff arm, and yet they can. I don't understand why they don't just buy themselves sixty million dollars of goodwill, as I've said before, and just release him and eat the money. Could they? Couldn't they pay him to go away? Like the, uh, or basically just say, "Don't you? You're not allowed to come here." Or can you file a grievance? Well, I think you can. I mean, can't I, I? I mean, I know baseball contracts are guaranteed, but can't you just cut a guy or waive a guy? They're still on the hook to pay him, but I mean. You don't have. You don't. I don't think you're contractually obligated to make him a part of your team. Well, but I think that. So here's the problem. He wants to break some of those home run records, right? Yes. So his ideal scenario would be them, them just waving him, passing through waivers, and then he gets to play with somebody else. Right. Um, but they're and playing some other, a game. Somebody else could probably pay him the major league minimum. Right, but then he gets to go for the home run record. Right. Their only trump card in this whole thing. Is to pay him, but prevent him from playing. Right. So, but, but so you wouldn't a game do that. Just waste a roster spot to pay him to sit on the bench. No, but you could set. You could send him down to Triple A, couldn't you? Or would his does his contract prohibit that? Mm, no, I think you can send a guy down. But then I think if I think if you reach a certain point, either uh, you, don't you don't you have to go through waivers or something if you're sent down to the minors and it's not injury related. Because yeah, that's why they you, always do a thing where they have to send guys down who's, who's not out of because he still has options. I thought you had to de- if you designated someone for assignment. Yeah. Then if he passed through waivers, nobody picked him up. Then he just goes to Triple A. Yeah, you could do that. Because that happened with Daniel Bard, I remember. Yeah, you could maybe do that. I think that what they're the move, secretly Johnny. hoping is is that he will show up to spring training. They will have the doctors go over him with an extra fine tooth comb and claim that he's medically unable to play because of his degenerative hip and that he's sat out a year and it only made things worse or it's not improved. And that they then can get rid of him and say that it, insurance has to pick up the tab. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like an HBO movie. <laughs> like. I, like it would start with them trying to figure out how to get rid of him, and then and then they would like maybe frame his urine test. Well, that's what George would have done. The old George, George would have just, just doctored it. Dirt on him, right? Yeah, doctored the test, whatever it took. A-Rod. The funny thing is, the players. I mean, you know, players. I think don't mind him, and now that Jeter's gone, there's no none of that antagonism. And I read a quote today on my phone, actually, an ESPN update that Sabathia was on SportsCenter this morning or something, and or on some ESPN show, and was questioned about it and said, quote, we're going to welcome him. All the players will welcome him back with open arms. It'd be funny if they just figured out, like, all these subtle, stupid ways to try to humiliate him so he so he quit. Like, they gave him the worst locker. <laughs> yeah. They gave him a uniform that didn't fit him correctly. Like, it was, like, a size too small. <laughs> And it just all they did all these just subtle things just to annoy him. He wasn't like he's allergic to peanuts, so just all the food has peanuts in it. This is like once again, we're, this is like the second podcast in a row that we're going to reference the phenomenal Robbie Benson movie One on One. But remember the coach? He tried to get him to like relinquish his right. uh, relinquish his scholarship. Yeah. He had to have him quit the team, so he made it as uncomfortable for him as possible. Maybe they just like the first batting practice. Some guy just throws an A rod ten straight times. Big Absolutely. brawl. Absolutely, that's that would be a good call. But I, I see. I think at this point he's so beyond any shame or humility that he just would. It's not going to work. You have right. to have some shame to just be like, I can't put up with this. But he's just, he's just well past that point. Yeah, he, and probably even thinks that he's a sympathetic figure. 
Oh, I, I guarantee he thinks that. And you know, if he and the thing is, he's going to be booed lustily at first, even at home, no question about that. Yeah. But if he comes back and he starts producing anything close to you know what he used to be, the fans will forgive him in a New York minute, and they'll be all they'll totally be on his side. Is he attached to his number? Maybe they could trade his, his change his number, assign yeah. his number to somebody else. Give thirteen to someone else. Yeah. Chase. I think he who's does the, like who's 13. the guy you signed? Who's the free agent you signed? Chase Headley. Yeah, Chase no, he Headley just gets. Year. Oh, D.D. Gregorius could give yeah, him thirteen. D. D. Yeah, D.D. gets D.D. gets uh, number thirteen. Maybe, maybe, maybe that'll work. They give A. Rod sixty-nine. No, you're wearing this. <laughs> he might be into that. <laughs> That's true. He might enjoy it. I, I think Gronk trademarked that by now. I would think that he owns all the, all the sixty-nines for every sport. I'm still I'm still reeling from the fact that James Shield went for four years, seventy five million dollars. Unbelievable. I mean, I was That's I was like a little actually, bit mildly intrigued by the Yankees getting him last week, thinking well they could use a little insurance in the rotation. And I don't think he's big game James or any of that hype, but I thought he'd be at least a known quantity. But for anything approaching twenty million dollars a year, I'm I'm so glad they ran away from that. Oh, see, I was thinking the opposite, but maybe it's just because my team paid more than that for Hanley Ramirez. <laughs> You think um, that was a bargain? I don't 20 know. Twenty million a year for James Shields? Well, it's it's really it's eighteen point seven five million a year for James Shields. Well, and I heard today that it could go as high as, as eighty. It was somewhere between seventy two and eighty, depending on the incentives or bonuses. So, here's the thing: like, if you're going to pay, like these teams always try to save money instead of paying James Shields, they pay a couple guys like yeah. ten million, and those guys usually suck. Yeah, I don't know. I just didn't want any part of James Shields for twenty million dollars. <clears throat> yeah, I guess he'll be I, good. In, I mean, I think he's going to be good in San Diego because it's the National League. He's going to pitch against pitchers, and it's a big ballpark. So I think he'll put up five numbers there, and then people will be tweeting me. Padres fans will be tweeting me saying, "Oh, you're wrong. Should have signed him." But it's a big difference pitching there and pitching in the AL East. I don't pitching think in Fenway pa- Park on a regular basis. Don't the Red Sox own him? I think the vortex of Padres fans just in general and then Padres fans listening to this podcast. Yeah, I think it's a small number. Yeah, it might not even be a number. I don't have to worry about the angry tweets on that one. Yeah, I don't don't think you're uh, going to be overwhelmed. But if you were me, would you rather pay $88 million for Henley Ramirez or $75 million for James Shields? Well, if I was you and your ace is Rick Porcello and then that's followed by a number two of Buckholtz, I would – I would have been much more interested in James Shields. Yeah, that's kind of my point. Yeah, they they could have used James Shields, although I don't think that he puts the fear of God into anyone, but that would have been a good signing for them, I think. He's like a very rich man's Tim Wakefield. He eats up innings. Yeah. He's going to get to his 200 innings. Familiar with the AL East. He's pitched there before. I could always go back on that. Well, the other thing is he's supposedly like a legendary clubhouse guy. Oh, well, there you go. You know how much I love clubhouse guys. (laughs) Absolutely. You've missed that. So you don't have a good, since Victor Martinez left. You don't really have a great clubhouse guy. Although well, we had, Big that's how we the won. ultimate clubhouse guy, right? No, but that's how we won the World Series. We, oh, uh, we right. had, they had a whole team of clubhouse guys: Shane Victorino, Johnny Gomes, right? All the Mike Napoli, Mike Carp, and then all of a sudden they were like, "Yeah, that worked." So let's get rid of all those guys and we'll sign Hayley Rears. <laughs> yeah, that'll be yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I can't say I really care. I'm still basking in the glow of the uh, the Patriots Super Bowl. Of course, as well you should be. Do you think 
Be serious. Yeah. Be honest. I want your honest answer here. Bill Belichick retires from the Patriots and announces he's running as a Republican candidate in 2016. What's your reaction? I would quit my job to follow him like following a preacher. <laughs> Some revivalist Pentecostal preacher. Like as a cult leader, I would follow him to the, to the depths of the ends of the earth. Bill, New Hampshire didn't go as well as you thought it might. Uh, what, what's your reaction right now? Uh, we're on to the next primary. On uh, to South Carolina, right? On South Carolina. Uh, it'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, I would have him do anything at this point. Like you guys have – I mean, he's an unquestioned genius. There's, there's no doubt. It can't be questioned. As, sound- I dislike the Patriots, but as I said on Twitter, I mean, to win four Super Bowls in this era of salary cap and, and um, free agency yeah. in this day and age is absolutely incredible. And of parody, you know, it's really incredible. There's this incredible sound effect show on NFL Network that I may, might have watched three times. Uh, that's just all the guys mic'd up for a solid hour. Yeah. And, uh, and Belichick, and he did this when they did the Baltimore mic'd up too. When things are going wrong, he just goes over to the defense and he basically just says, hey, do your jobs. <laughs> you guys, we've been prepared all week. There are no surprises anymore. You guys just have to do your jobs. And he's basically saying to them, like, I'm Bill Belichick. I told you everything they were going to do. Just do your freaking job. <laughs> all right? You guys are the most prepared team in the way. Do your job. And that's I, uh, what he does when he's mic'd up. I heard a story once. I don't know why it stuck with me, but it did. And it was about Tony Gonzalez, the uh, the tight end. It was in a pro bowl, and Belichick was the coach. And it was like kickoff coverage. And so, of course, the Pro Bowl, everybody does everything half-assed in the Pro Bowl. And Tony Gonzalez completely, you know, whiffed on a block on somebody. And he walked back to the bench. Belichick gave him like a side-eye and goes, you might want to block somebody on that. And he like, got so motivated that he went down and like laid somebody out the next kickoff in the Pro Bowl. Because he's like, Belichick just has this way. There's something about the way he said it, like completely emasculated Tony Gonzalez, who had pride as a professional. Just there's, the, so many, the there's so many great moments in that sound effects thing. I enjoy all sound effects shows, but no, me uh, too. they show that 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 you've seen that clip of when Brady's just jumping up and down after the Butler interception. Yeah, Garoppolo kind of sidles over to kind of join in on the thing, but Brady doesn't even acknowledge him, and then Garoppolo just kind of goes and jumps around like five feet away from him. Brady kind of throws him out like a senior in high school with the freshman coming up to him like, hey, get now, go over there. You're not in this. <laughs> You're not part of this yet. But I got a couple emails about this. Edelman in the second half, and especially after he gets clocked by Cam Chancellor on the play that might have been a concussion and might not have. Yeah. Goes into – starts telling everybody he loves them. Oh and God. I had a reader say that it's a little like the dr- your drunk buddy in college at 2 in the morning. He's like, hey, Jaddy, <laughs> I love you. You're yeah. the best. And it's a little bit like that. At one point, they're 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 about to – they're on the, the drive to take the touchdown. And all the offensive linemen are standing next to each other. Edelman goes up to him and goes, hey, I love you guys. <laughs> I love all of you guys. It's just like right in the middle. There's like two minutes left. It's great. But he might actually be like that, so I don't I don't know the actual answer. But Edelman, well, if the internet Edelman's be, whole performance is an Emmy Award winner. You got to watch it. If the internet is to be believed, he's been loving quite a few people ever since the Super Bowl. So <laughs> that's true. I don't think he's Come stopped. On, he's a seventh round pick. <laughs> I don't think he's been. I don't think he stopped. And good for him. He's I, he was at the Grammys last night. I saw a snippet of that. So uh, he and Butler. But talk about a guy that really hit the lottery, Butler. Yeah. 
nobody would have known who he was two weeks ago, and now he's the toast of Boston. We're all worried about Butler. All the Pats fans are worried about Butler. Talk about talk about a, a, a switch in your life. You go from you're this anonymous rookie D-back to a famous person, and it happens in five seconds. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It might be a little too much too soon. You think? Yeah, I'm a little worried. I'm I'm going to be very curious to make sure he doesn't start dating an actress. That'll be the next sign that we should be concerned. As a Giants fan, I'm wildly worried about the same for Odell Beckham Jr. He's oh, got way, and, way, way too much exposure. Great rookie campaign, it, great player, but I'm definitely afraid of the limelight with him, too. I thought he was dating somebody, isn't he? <laughs> he may well be. I'm not sure. I I remember reading something about him romantically that made me pause. Yeah, I can't remember. Can't remember what that is. And if it, and if and if I'm remembering incorrectly, I apologize to Odell Senior and Junior. <laughs> um, so Belichick in 2016. Yeah, I'll, you quit I'll get your job. Candidacy. Would you? Who would you want as his VP candidate? It doesn't even matter. He would be enough. It doesn't matter. It isn't, it's not like he would need. Given his evil genius, I don't think he would. It would matter who his running mate was to sway people. As what long is, as it wasn't it, Pete Carroll. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Pete. Oh my God! I don't. I said this on Twitter the other day. I, I watched. I, I watched some clips of that Matt Lauer, Pete Carroll interview. Yeah, Pete's a mess. Oh my God! That broke him. That team. That team next year, they're done. That team is done with. He lost that locker room. It broke him. I think it broke that team. Uh, they're done. It might have broken his brain. I got a lot of tweets from Seattle or a handful saying, no, this is motivation. You don't understand. No, I saw that interview. He's done. He's broken. He's a broken man. That yeah, finished him. You know, you're in that mindset of being super aggressive. Yeah. That, you know, and, and that pass play was definitely up there. And the, and the sound effects thing, Wilson comes off the field and he's – just totally confused by what happened. He doesn't understand. He's, and he's like, what happened to Carol? And Carol's like, they jumped the route. He doesn't want to talk to him. And then Wilson wanders over to some other coach. And he's like, ah, but what What happened? Like, he's just dying. For, he's <laughs> yeah. dying for anyone to tell him it's not his fault. And and nobody's giving him anything. And he's just like, I, I, I didn't see him. I, uh, oh, he did, did, did he? He's just rambling. He just can't believe that it got picked. Really, it was. It's absolutely inexplicable. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to throw in the middle of the field at the, from the one yard line. It just, it'll never be understood because it doesn't make any sense. I didn't. I didn't mind passing, and the, and the more I think about it, as the week has gone by, it seems like the the real flaw in that play was who they threw it to. Well, they threw the, it to like their fifth string receiver going over the middle, like like all the things that could have gone wrong. Like, what if it hit his shoulder pad and went up in the air? Or how about everybody knows you're going to run the ball to Lynch, so how about you do play action and have Russell Wilson roll out? Right. Have the tight end in front of him. He either runs it in or dumps it off. It only works every single time in the history of the NFL. Yeah, that's like the if you play want to throw it there, me. play action. Well, how about this? How about not run the play that the Pats send the defense in specifically to stop that play, and Butler tells Browner in front of him, hey, hold up your guy. I'm going to dart right to the spot where the ball's going to be. Right. Yeah, that might have been a Maybe that was a mistake. Too. Unbelievable, yeah. just unbelievable. Do you, do you buy my theory, which I really strongly believe in, that I wrote about in my column about uh, the fact that Belichick did not call timeout intentionally as a poker move to put the pressure on Carroll because he knew a pass play was coming? 
No, I don't believe that. I, I think he's an evil genius. I don't think he's that much of a genius. I think they were saving the timeout because I, like the rest of America, thought that Lynch was going to run it in, and it was a question of how much time they were going to have left. So I think he wanted to save a timeout in case Brady threw a home, threw a hail mary down the field. With you know they get the ball back with 25 seconds left or something, and Brady has a big play, and you have a timeout to try and get the ball, you know, get the yeah. kicking kicking team on the field or whatever. I don't think that he was. That's way too many chess moves ahead to think. Well, I won't call a timeout. Pete's going to be frazzled and run the stupidest play in the history of mankind. But they had a couple of minutes because there was a timeout, and Belichick is the best coach of all time. I think that's thinking way too far ahead. I, I don't think he was thinking that. I think he was like, I mean, I think it was a case of let, let them score and have as much time left as possible. I think I personally think he thought if they don't score on first down, I'm not calling timeout because they'd have to throw it on second down, and I think we can stop them. And then after I have a better chance with my defense than I would of Brady doing dink and dunk in less than 50 seconds. I really think he thought through that whole process in his freaking diabolical head. <laughs> well, I mean, given his track record and his history, you can't discount it. But I just think that's like way too much, you know, chess moves now. Five chess moves ahead. I, I don't know. I don't buy it. But you're in, you the glory, you're in your glory of your ninth championship in 15 years. So you, I'll let you I'll let you run wild with your fantasies. First of all, You've it's thir- it. first of all, it's nine championships in 13 years. Okay. Just to correct you. Um, <laughs> what would Belichick do with A-Rod? To bring this full circle, well, he would probably embrace him and figure if we're going to have him here, we've got to make him. You know, we're all in this together. Circle the wagons, and he would say it's us against the world with a Rod as our you know team family member. Or he would just outright release him. I think he'd. I think he'd figure out something with the urine test. <laughs> <laughs> what a Rod failed the test? I can't believe it. Yeah, he, find to pay to de- he could find a way to deflate his ego or something. So, oh, I, I saw <laughs> what you did there. Yeah, yeah. Hey, as a, as as a neutral observer, don't you feel like the Pats got railroaded with Deflategate? Can't we just say that now? Well, the reality Can we officially is, say it. The reality is, is winning that Super Bowl. There, there's no way in hell that even if they, even if they have it on videotape of them actively deflating footballs and knowingly cheating. There's no way we would ever find out about that because the NFL can't come out and say, oh, yeah, by the way, the Super Bowl champion, they cheated in the AFC championship or through the season. There's no way in hell that's going to come out. Well, Chris Morton said 11 of the 12 balls were significantly deflated. And then it turned out one of the balls was significantly deflated. And then it turns out the Colts had one of the balls for a couple of hours. So who the hell knows what they did? I mean, nobody well, there's knows so what anything happened here. Reports and until I mean, and and if you could ever get an, you know, everybody hooked up to a polygraph and get an independent investigation or something is the only way you'd ever really get the truth. But that's never going to happen now. There's no way the NFL is going to come out and say, oh yeah, it was, you know, I don't know what they're going to say. They're going to hopefully just sweep it under the rug. If, hopefully, from their standpoint, sweep it under the rug and let bygones be bygones and move on with life and hope they don't get called out on it. Well, nobody's a better sweeper than Roger Goodell. Well, that's just it. That's what he's. That was what he was born to do. Yeah, he's. he's yeah, he should just walk around with a broom. <laughs> that's Unfortunately, the job he was he, born for. Occasionally, he breaks the broom or accidentally hits somebody else with it. Right. Mm. I. Uh, yeah, I'm we're never going to find thing. out anything about that. There's no question. The most annoying thing of the, of all of it was all these dudes coming out who had some sort of axe to grind. Like that is an easy axe to see, right? Jerry yeah. Rice, the Niners versus the Pats. He yeah. comes out. He's got to say his piece. Comes out. He used stick him. 
Ray Lewis. We don't need to cover him. Right. Uh, Marshall Falk, Kurt Warner, Jerome Bettis. Oh, sure. The Carol a GM. Yeah, it's like, oh, what do you guys, Tony Dungy, Bill Polian? Yeah. What do you guys all have in common? Yeah, know, nobody Johnny. had clean hands that was coming out to make accusations, no doubt. Especially Jerry Rice. Literally didn't have clean hands. He barely cleaned his hands coming out of that massage parlor that time. Remember that one? <laughs> hey, Jerry. Jerry, don't stand in front of and don't throw rocks at the at the house. What's that saying? Help me with the saying. Uh, those don't in throw... glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Yeah, don't that come one. out of your don't come out of your glass house and start throwing rocks at the start, Patriots. Start I don't shut up. Pat it with all these people. Seriously. God, why um, didn't Pete Carroll just run the ball there? For the love of God, he would never he would never have been able to say anything again, especially <laughs> if you lost on another like Tyree like circus catch. I'm in the mode of. Of we would have shut down beast mode. We would have slammed them with the eight yeah. man front. Sit down, beast mode. Right, right. No question. Sure. Hey, quickly. Uh, um, did you see the HBO show that started last night? That's kind of. It's like they're they're tracking this murder. No, I, I saw series. something about it on the internet. The Jinx or whatever. Yeah. I did not see it because I was watching the ESPN production of Miracles and Men. You're a great man. I've, You're a great friend and a great man. That's not me being a corporate shill. I really was watching that because the 1980 USA hockey team, like I would watch a documentary about where Herb Brooks suits were made. Right. Because I would watch anything about it because that couldn't have been any more in my wheelhouse. So I was yeah. fascinated for two hours watching the – actually reading because most of it was in Russian subtitle, with subtitles. But yeah. uh, I was I was watching that. So I, People, is the Jinx good? Jinx is – is really in your wheelhouse. I'll check that out. It's a series, right? If you don't like Jinx, uh, your money back for that <laughs> recommendation. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's it's like a six part series. It's really yeah. good. Um, I'll check that and the, out. And the Thirty for Thirty, which is rerunning a bunch of times, um, that was done by John Hawk, who's done a bunch of our good ones. He did the Marcus Dupree one. He did NC State. I mean, he's he did the finish line for Grantland. Anything he does is going to be really good. If you see his name, you should just watch whatever he did. It was really uh, well done. This one's really well done. And also, I always people always ask me what the favorite 30 for 30s are. I always gravitate to the ones that had a high degree of difficulty. And this one had a really high degree of difficulty. This yeah. one was, was – uh, I just don't think a lot of people would have pulled it off and made it that watchable. And, it's and really you know, good. one of the things that I found I thought was interesting about it is, you know, there's been a billion and one things, and rightly so, about the USA winning it and yeah. documentaries and movies and everything else. But th- this one, to do it from the Russian perspective, it is like it, there's a famous thing with Jimmy Breslin when JFK got shot that he went down to and interviewed the grave digger. And it was like revolutionary because everybody else was at the White House and talking to dignitaries. And he went down and read this amazing story about the guy that dug JFK's grave. Yeah. This was like the same thing of like having this story that's been covered from every angle and covering it from a new one of like looking at the Russian perspective and going with uh, Fedosov back to uh, back to Lake Placid and everything. It was really, really good. See, and I love how most of them are still bitter about it. And I loved how they had, like, this guy from the TAS news agency who was the sports writer who had all these excuses about, you know, some figure skater won a gold medal the night before and they were drinking champagne and they were complaining about the athlete's village that they later turned into a prison, that the dorms, they were cold and it was noisy. Give me a break. So you think when John Hawk does the one about the 2015 Seahawks in (laughs) nine years, that'll be as good or no? Yeah, the, the, about the game, that, the play that broke Pete Carroll. 
What if yeah. I told you there was a Super Bowl and the coach screwed up the play? <laughs> what if I told you a coach went from a Super Bowl to an insane asylum? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's so yeah. perfect that he was, you know, Fredo and hit a hideous job with the Pats and it all came full circle to have him. Not that I bear necessarily any ill will to Pete Carroll, even though he's some lunatic 9-11 truther, but uh, it's such per- perfect symmetry that he blows up against the Patriots. Yeah, I stayed quiet during the Super Bowl week about the whole, well, actually, Pete Carroll wasn't as bad in New England as everyone remembers thing, because it was like, all right, whatever. If we're right. going to say that, then. The, the team he took over in 97 was probably the single most talented Patriots team. Right. And uh, and, and I, I don't even think they made it to the AFC title game. No, they lost the, they lost the first playoff game that year in Pittsburgh. But, um, yeah, anyway. Anyhow, uh, yeah. All right, Johnny. Uh, good luck with A-Rod. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for your congratulations. That means a lot to me, John. Absolutely. I know you don't mean it, but thank you anyway. Well, it's just a thing you say. All right. Talk <laughs> to you soon. All right. Bye. <laughs> thank you for downloading the BS Report with Bill Simmons. Too much fun. Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at PodCenter at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out.